I'm Chris Dormos, the CEO of E3 Metals Corp. E3 is a lithium technology and resource company located in Calgary, Alberta. We have both a 7 million ton lithium carbonate uh, equivalent inferred mineral resource, and we've been developing a DLE technology, an ion exchange process to remove lithium from brines that we believe we can implement across the globe. So we bring both a resource and a technology combined to unlock this massive opportunity here in the province. The company's goal is to generate a 20,000 ton per annum project here by around 2025 to 2026, and then grow from there across our resource base to around 150,000 tons of lithium products. Right now, we're looking at lithium hydroxide as our first product, but we're also looking at the opportunities to expand into other markets, carbonate and lithium metal, as the advancements in technology for batteries continues. Yes. Thank you very much. That is an excellent and uh, uh, a full introduction to the company. Um, nice to meet you. We haven't met before. Um, nice so so well, welcome. On the, good to have you on, on, on the, in the interview on the show. Thank you. Um, lithium. I mean, it is the, the hot topic. Um, it is the flavor of the month. The, you know, all of the market projections are are so positive for it. Um, how did you come to be in the lithium space? Because I think you founded the company six years ago or so. You know, that's quite a quite a long way back. Yeah, we we were looking for a lithium project since 2014, and we founded the company in 2016. So we spent a couple of years trying to identify a project that had a real opportunity. And what got us into it in the first place was Tesla, as you can imagine. When you looked at their projections based on what they thought they were going to produce uh, alone for just their fleet, the lithium market was already undersupplied for what they needed. And then if you just looked at the thought exercise of other companies getting into the space as well, other OEMs, um, lithium is it's a bit different than other commodities because it doesn't have the production base that the other metals that go into batteries do, like nickel or cobalt. So you can't steal from another industry to build the batteries. You have to actually generate new supply for lithium. And lithium is the one element and metal in batteries that is ubiquitous. It's about 7 to 10% in almost every chemistry uh, of battery that's out there in this space. So we understood the foundation of lithium, just it was going to be a booming market if this was all successful. So we looked at that and we said, you know, let's try to find a project Let's get into this space. We, we all had this idea of an energy metals um, company. And uh, over time, just this project that we have here in Alberta, it just, it had its own legs. There was, it just sort of took off and, uh, and has continued to since. And the, the, the lithium resource that you, you're looking at, it's a, is it an evaporite? It's, it's, a, it's a buried evaporite. Is, is that what it is? No, it's, it's actually hosted in a brine. And a lot of times we get coined with petrolithium. And the reason for that simply is that it was an old oil and gas aquifer. So it's called the Leduc. It was discovered in 1947 by uh, ExxonMobil. Yep. And, um, you know, they've been developing it. It's, it's pretty much at the end of its oil life cycle now. They, they left it in the 90s. It's been in smaller and smaller companies' hands. When it was discovered, it was about 4% oil by volume and 96% brine and the lithium was dissolved in the brine. So in that sense, you know, the resource has always been here. We're just simply repurposing this asset to produce lithium. And the benefit that it was an old uh, oil and gas 
producer. It was simply that we have a, a high amount of understanding uh, in terms of the exploration development. We've, we've had 60, 70 years of production in this aquifer. So, so you know, you know, you know, the, it really helps the flow characteristics because you've been um, pe people, entities have been pumping uh, fluids out of a molecules out of the aquifer for for decades. Yeah, that's exactly it. And and although they weren't extracting lithium, um, the fluids have been moving around in this aquifer. We understand how to do that intimately. And uh, you know, you, you mentioned your background as a geologist, so you know that fundamentally means that this has never been an exploration project. It's always been a development project. Um, for E3 metals. Now, um, I, now, I noticed there are quite a few people in your team who've got um, oil and gas background, and presumably that's because of the, 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 the nature of it. This is why you're calling it a petrobrine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, everyone except for one of our, our senior team, and even in the junior team, there's only a few people that are not hired out of our local workforce. Um, and the ones that we've brought in from other places are generally the lithium experts. Um, but how to move fluids, how to produce this aquifer, even the infrastructure and the, and the design of the facility, all of that exists here. Um, our head of projects uh, worked with me at a, at a, a, the project called the Fort Hills in northern Alberta. It was a $17 billion capital project. So we know how to build big here in Alberta. And he's now um, the director of projects at E3 Metals. So he's helping us get this project commercialized so um just just to be clear when you say um the local workforce i mean calgary being an oil town um you yeah. know th that's that's what it is you've, you've basically got a, an oil background a team with an oil background yeah yeah because this aquifer has produced as an oil aquifer but at the end of the day you're just moving a fluid doesn't matter if it's oil or if it's brine with lithium in it you're just moving fluid so yeah exactly this is uh, people here know how to do this some of the, the notes I jotted down were all about permeability and porosity and fracture density and kind of flow and all that kind of stuff. But that basically goes, you know, that line of questioning is kind of put to bed now. You know, you can pretty much park it because you've, you, you, there's so much data behind it. I would love to get into the, the, the weeds if you want, but yeah, it, it's under, I mean, we have, we have 4,000 draw holes into the permanent area that we have alone. Um, from oil and gas exploration that have intersected the, this particular aquifer. So there's lots of geologic data that we can use and have used to backstop our resources. So, you know, again, it's never been an exploration project and our resources are fairly robust because we have a lot of data points for how the fluid moves through the aquifer. Okay, really interesting. Um, <clears throat> and the... Uh, I noticed that in your presentation, you said that the the, the direct lithium extraction um, column that you uh, are working on can cope with up to eighty six milligrams per liter of lithium. Now, what I what I didn't understand or couldn't see um, was, you know, how much lithium is in the brine, and um, you know, what's what's the concentration like, and is that constant, and does it does it vary with time, and you know, how does the lithium content in the brine behave over time? Yeah, from the sampling that we've done, we've gone back to uh, so there is produce small amounts of oil production, um, and it's about ninety eight percent water cut, which means about ninety eight percent of the fluids that are coming out of the well today are water, and the other two percent are oil, and then. You know what they're doing is they're they're skimming the oil off the top and then they put the brine back down, and so we're able then to go before that brine goes back into the aquifer and sample it, and so we've done that uh, at at wells over time, um, and we've sampled as many as we possibly can, uh, and there's over a hundred and some uh, across 
the permit area that we have that we've sampled. So the lithium grade is fairly consistent uh, spatially and over time. Um, so in the Clearwater area where we are looking to produce, we range from about the, the high 60s, so 69 to about 86. And we average 75 but I, milligrams per liter uh, in that area. But I will say that the majority of the samples you know, the distribution of them are fairly tight around the 75. Yeah. So um, you, you've got a great deal of confidence then in that 75 is going to run as your, that, that's the kind of the, the, the basin um, scale brine uh, content, 75 for one of, of a better number. Yeah. And there's this thing called the law of diffusivity. And, you know, this brine is 400 million years old. And they believe that the lithium um, has been in place fairly early on in its history through a process called dolomitization. So um, the, you know, theoretically the lithium should be spatially distributed fairly evenly unless there's a human impact to that distribution. We think there is a slight dilution due to human activity with where the oil is specifically, just because um, people have been putting, uh, water into the aquifer for enhanced oil recovery. So they add pressure by adding more water into the aquifer uh, to get more oil out. It's a very common activity uh, in oil aquifers that are, that are uh, water wet like this. So um, other than influences like that, that may have diluted the lithium grade very locally, <clears throat> the rest of the aquifer, which is, you know, the majority of what we're going to produce. In fact, we're not going to produce from where the oil, the oil, was historically produced. We're going to stay away from that particular area and probably use it as our disposal zone because we do have to dispose back. So we'll sterilize that, you know, diluted um, area where the oil was produced and we'll produce from unimpacted brine. But other than that, the grade theoretically should be consistent across the aquifer, and that's what we see when we sample. And um, are you going to... So you've got injector wells and producer wells uh, you know what are the distances apart from so so okay let's just start with a pilot plant because you're working on a pilot plant at the moment which is the 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 key activity i believe uh, for this year isn't it you know your your the, the pilot plant is the big thing for this year yeah yeah it is um so um the uh, for the pilot plant itself we're going to be going to existing production so the plan is, and we're working with a couple of operators in the area that have brine at surface, they more than enough for us to run a pilot. So for that particular um, piece of the process, um, we're simply going to tag into the back of, of basically just before the disposal well, take the brine, run it through our ion exchange system, take the lithium out, give them back, back the brine, and the brine will go back to the aquifer. So you don't have to uh, build your own set of wells injectors and producers you're just the the pilot bit that you're testing is just the um the dle the the, the direct lithium extraction yeah and and not to say that we're not going to we, we do have a plan to drill up to three wells this summer um but their first and primary goal is to define an mni upgrade so that we can uh, book a reserve for pre-fees we may move the pilot to them at a later date um, but the initial pilot will likely run on an existing producing site. It's very simple and it does tag into how, you know, when you, you asked about the commercial as well, the same thesis goes into the commercial development because it's the same thing. We, we bring in the brine out of the ground through now our wells. And I have a diagram I can pull up 
Um, and we can talk through that as well. Um, but yeah, you sure. know, when, when you look at this development and, um, you know, you, you have a series of wells that are producing um, from the aquifer, you're bringing it in all together into a, into a pipeline that brings it 15 kilometers. So that's, you asked about the distance. So that 15 kilometers gives us 20 years of production at a rate of 20,000 tons per year. And so, okay, okay. So, what, what, yeah. what, um, what drives the fluid flow from the injection well to production wells? Is it simply that you're pumping out, and therefore you're creating a pressure differential? Exactly. Yeah. So we create a sweep effectively across the aquifer, and so you know this will run for 20 years in this setup. Now, in, in the in the pre fees that we will produce, it'll likely be that the the wells will be further apart than 15k. We'll probably make them far enough apart that they'll be about the same time frame as the lifespan of the well. So that sweep. But in this configuration, uh, that 15 kilometers gives us 20 years of sweep. So if you wanted to expend, extend the mine life, keep in mind that we have 160 kilometers by 45 kilometers. So have a huge area here. So to either increase production or extend production, you would step back out further um, for, then 15K, you would drill some more wells, you'd start pumping from there, but you'd put the brine back down to the same disposal wells. And what that allows you to do is just step away from your brine as you uh, produce out of this aquifer. And that's what we call our aquifer management plan, which is incredibly important for DLE because you have to put the brine back down. So you have to manage your resource in that way. When you talk about putting the, the brine back down, does that go into the injection wells or is this into a separate... Um, separate facility or separate area? It goes in this configuration, it goes here in the injection wells uh, okay. at the top of this diagram. Um, and then that sweep happens from as the water, the lithium void brine sweeps across the aquifer as you start pumping. Okay. And while I look at this, I, I've got in the back of my head that the kind of the, 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 the PEA um, put out a capex figure of just over $600 million. Yeah. What? What, <coughs> excuse me, what proportion of that is from the, uh, from the ground and down and how much is above yeah. ground, so to speak, in the, in, the, in the plant itself? It breaks out to about a third, a third, a third, and that's roughly. Um, so a third is the, is the wells and the pipeline. Yep. Um, a third is the DLE pretreatment portion. Which is, yep. which is here. And then yep. the other third is the polishing, purification, and hydroxide production, which are these two steps down here okay. on, this, uh, on the right side. So, um, so yeah, it, it's pretty even. <clears throat> the cost estimation for the drilling is, is fairly robust. Um, we had drilling quotes. We had pump quotes for actual pumps and, and drilling. So, you know, when you look at the a PEA, generally it's, it's fairly desktop. Um, but because we have so much data and, and companies are out here drilling um, and have been drilling this for a long time. There's a fairly solid understanding of the cost in that part of it. Okay. So when I look at this picture here, um, is it fair to say that the, the injection wells and all of the production side is very well established and that the, um, the from the, 
concentrated purifying lithium down to stages two and three, the polishing, purification, and the battery grade lithium production, that's also very well established. And then what you're really, what your kind of innovation is, is the, that, that where that circle with the number one is. You, you, absolutely. So, you know, when we started E3, as I mentioned, this was never an expiration. Day one, we, um, you know, we started a resource company day one. Day two, we turned into a technology development company, literally, because what we realized is that, um, and there were other technologies out there. The one, the leading one at the time is now no longer applicable. Um, it, it was um, uh, a solvent extraction method. Um, and we realized that to make this work, ion exchange was going to be the process because it didn't require you to remove anything out of the brine prior to extracting the lithium, which means that your costs are significantly lower. Yeah. So, so this technology, um, it, this, this is the DLE technology diagram that we have uh, out on our slide deck. And what this demonstrates is what we've developed. So when you look at what E3's proprietary side of this, it's the Zorbent itself. So the company has developed a Zorbent that is highly selective for lithium uh, and has a very quick kinetic background. So it means that we can get a lot of the lithium out in a very, very short amount of time, which means that our overall operating costs are significantly lower. Um, and it allows us to produce a high purity product. And so when you look at what we developed, we developed the little the bead, the Zorbent itself. The, the process around it, the tank, is very common ion exchange processing equipment. So we're not reinventing the wheel even on that. So, but for the past you know, from 20, pretty much 2016 until 2020, the focus for the company has been on developing this technology. So three and a half years, and that was all on the beat itself. So last year, we announced that all of that development was done. And although we continue to, you know, perfect that bead itself, that's not the focus anymore. The focus has been on developing a process around it. Um, we built a prototype in 2021, we, it was running before the end of the year. We're using that data then to design the pilot. So we, we run a lot of tests. We provide that to third-party vendors who make ion exchange equipment. They use that to understand the process parameters, flow rates, and that sort of stuff. Uh, and then they can design and build us the pilot that we need. So, you know, although it is DLE is a new way to process lithium, it's not a new way to process elements out of water. And I think that's a really important distinction because we're, we're not really doing anything all that novel, except for the fact that we can get lithium out uh, at high purity. So um, can you give me some other examples of iron, absor iron uh, absorption uh, in water? So about half of uranium treatment is done with ion exchange. Uh, okay. If you have a water softener in your house, that's ion exchange. Uh, most municipal water treatment uses an ion exchange in, as part of there with some membranes to, to treat the water. Any commercial developments, like we have a lot of water treatment here for fracking up north in Alberta. A yeah. lot of that water treatment is using ion exchange. So it's used ubiquitously to get uh, elements out of, out of waters. And the, 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 I think the key thing, I mean, I, I'm, I'm completely new to this, but the, the key thing presumably is making sure that you've got the, fluid flow high enough so that you can get the volume to be able to produce the tonnage at the end 
um, but you've got the the reactive element or the kind of the, the sorbent, which is quick enough to pull out the element that you need in the time that's available while the thing is flowing across it. Because exactly. 80, 75 ppm or whatever it is, yeah. is, is relatively low grade. Yeah. And so what we demonstrated with our PA is that we're able to operationally make that happen and do it economically. And of course, you know, the next level is to demonstrate that in a pilot, and then we can go on to build a commercial plant. And so, you know, we're taking the methodical steps that you need to take to develop a project like this. Um, but it became clear at the end of 2020, and, and we outlined that to the market through the PEA, that this can be very economic. And the benefit we have is that the 20,000 ton uh, PEA that we outlined is phase one. You know, we go through phase two, three as we grow and we become a 150,000 ton producer of lithium because this aquifer is so big and so prolific um, that we can expand like that, which makes if we're 150,000 tons, we're the biggest lithium producer by nearly double um, if it was happening today. So this is there's so much potential for this to grow and expand it's not a supply constrained, well, it's not a demand constrained market. Basically, the more you can produce, the, the, the happier the manufacturers will be. But yeah. um, can we just go back to the pilot plant and, sure. for my benefit, understand what you're going to be producing during the course of this year in, the, in, in that phase? Yeah, so right now, the company is in the process of confirming the engineering firm and the design and the fabrication. Um, so I expect it to take another three to five months to get that all firmed up and to get the fabrication started. And then the hope is, is that we have uh, a lot of the pieces already built here in Alberta, which is true. There are some water treatment skids that could be repurposed for this. Um, Not sure that we can use them at this point if they're applicable. So the hope is though that we can find one and we can bring in our columns and, and fabricate that together. And it means a simple build and therefore a short time frame build, and then we can deploy. Um, the sort of outlier there is that we have to fab from, from scratch. And, you know, so the time frame is Q3, Q4, but it's pretty broad right now because of that, you know, the, the need to actually construct from scratch, uh, which is a, the unknown at this point in time. Okay, so, and how much have you budgeted for that? What's your, what's your kind of uh, um, capital budget that you're... Um... Um, aiming yeah. for that. We estimate it's going to cost about three to four million dollars to build the pilot. And keep in mind that we are just building our ion exchange system, and it it is a simple process using columns. So it is, um, you know, and and in a commercial sense, you know, you these are modular, so you don't build it bigger. You build lots of them. So in a pilot, you actually are, are building something that's near commercial size, not quite, but probably very near commercial size. Um, to test all the parameters. And then from there, you de-risked a lot of the way to commercial. Um, so, uh, you know, three to four million to build that, and then about a million dollars to operate it um, for the course of about six to 12 months, depending on, we, we may move it around to a couple of different sites, um, depending on the results of the drilling, really. And each each module could produce a few hundred tons. Is that you know in in the test? Is that what you're trying to do, or if you, are you talking a few hundred kilograms, or um, you know what do you? Uh, how long do you run it for? And I mean, what I'm what I'm trying to work out is that by the end of the year, might you have a product that you could 
then take to the next stage and kind of look at start looking kind of chemical specifications or is it too early to start thinking of that that part of the chain no we're definitely have plans for that the timing is is still uncertain because it depends on the pilot but um we are working through with as you mentioned you know conventional ion or lithium hydroxide production process so that's not our tech we're working with other companies that build that sort of processing to test they all they all have a testing facility um, and the ability to take our concentrate that we produce and and perform the work that they need to understand the costs and and do that and that process will produce lithium hydroxide um so you know there's sort of two phases of that one is that in a smaller way we can start now um running the prototype that we have for long periods generating concentrate and getting a smaller test done once the pilot's running uh, we will take a large portion of that that we produce, the concentrate we produce from there, and and do the bigger scale testing, um, and then potentially even bring that technology to the back of our pilot as well, and uh, produce the hydroxide on site. So that's that we call that phase two of the pilot um, is is if we were to bring that process to site, um, but, but right now because all of these companies have testing equipment at large scale. Um, and that they are confident that whatever scale they have in their testing facility can be commercialized because that's what they do for a living. Um, that that may be all that's necessary for us to to um, you know have the confidence to build a commercial plant. And so what the the input into that into that back end is a enriched lithium brine. Is that correct? So so that your what your pilot plant is doing is taking the seventy five milligrams per liter brine and turning it into five thousand milligrams per liter yeah we can get it up to five thousand um we generally sit somewhere between two to three thousand um but the, the main important piece there is that it also doesn't come with the impurities so along with 75 milligrams per liter is fifty thousand milligrams per liter sodium and twenty five thousand milligrams per liter calcium and when we when we get it out we get you know two thousand three thousand milligrams per liter lithium and we get you know, 200 to 300 milligrams per liter magnesium and 400 milligrams per liter calcium. So what we're sitting with here is something that's about 60% lithium going yeah. from something that is, you know, in, in terms of percent, like 0.00001% lithium in the brine to 60% lithium in one step. And I think yeah. that's like, that is the really important part here. If you look at a hard rock mine, that uh, makes a, a hard rock powder concentrate, that concentrate is six to 7% lithium. Right. So, you know, we're able to get 10 times that concentration uh, in just, just a simple ion exchange column. So the cost therefore is very, very low because we don't have a big cleanup stage. After that, we still have to refine it. We still have to get it to 99.9%, but the yep. energy and effort to do that is drastically reduced. And um, f- forgive me if I'm asking stupid questions. I'm so new to this whole thing. Um, the, the the sorbent, which is the kind of the magic sauce in this process, is that easy to make? Is it expensive to make? Does it wear out? Do you do you have to replace it? Isn't it? Is it a kind of a, a high cost additive to uh, every batch that you do, or kind of would it go on a rolling basis when you're in commercial production? You know, how does that work? Yeah. So the best way to think about it is a cost. Uh, ongoing operating cost. Um, it doesn't last forever. No 
ion exchange resin or absorbent lasts forever. Um, and so if you look at our economics, about $400 of the $3,600 OPEX is the cost of the absorbent on a yearly basis. And what that means is that looking at economic sensitivity, right? Um, it's the, the project is not sensitive in a risk perspective to the cost of that material. So let's say that it doubled, right? The, the total project cost would go from 3,600 to 4,000, um, which is still lower than most of our competitors in the space. And that's doubling from, from the PA. So we're not, we're not very concerned from that economic standpoint, which is what really the progress of the project hinges on is can you do it economically? We're not concerned about the cost of the material. So um, I think right now it's, it's simply about scale. Can we do it bigger so that we can do this commercially? And uh, presumably got a good patent or two on that sorbent. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so th thank you. I, I understand things much better now. Um, can you um, kind of point me to what, your, what you see as your kind of news flow kind of milestones for the course of the year that you think the market should sit up and take notice of during the next, I don't know, wherever we are, 11 months of the year? Yeah, I think the, the big things are, you know, we've been talking about um, our goal of getting to the point of having three big things accomplished. And I think that if everything works out the way that we see them working out, we'll probably get all three done. And if we won't, we'll be very close to all three of these done this year. And these are company milestones. These are things that we knew we needed to do in 2017 when we went public that we've been working towards step-by-step. Step. And so they're huge things. So the first is the pilot. Obviously, we need to demonstrate that this can work at a near commercial scale, um, at least in terms of one unit operator, right? Yep. One module. And so that is incredibly important. And the majority of the energy, the majority of what we're spending on a, on a monthly basis, our burn goes towards that goal. Um, and again, at some point it becomes out of our hands because we hand it off to the fabricator to build. And then at that point, it's as long as it takes to build. So the timing is hopefully by the end of this year at the latest. Um, the other big thing is that we're going to go out to the, to the portion of the aquifer that we actually plan to produce from and drill three wells. We're planning on doing that uh, after spring break up here in Canada, so in, in June-ish. Um, and we're going to drill these three wells and they will be outlining our M&I area and they will detail the information we need to develop the aquifer management plan for our commercial production. And that feeds into the M&I, feeds into the pre-feasibility study to book the first DLE reserve uh, globally. So that's a big goal for us as well. And then the other one is the hydroxide. So demonstrating that we can go from a, you know, brine, what we call brine to battery, right? We can go from a 75 milligram per liter brine to something that is at a, at a chemical state. So a hydroxide that is pure enough to be directly sold to the battery market. Yep. And so those three big milestones should all be accomplished in 2022. And if not, we'll be, we'll be talking about like, the pilot's turning on in January sort of thing. So we'll yep. be very close if we don't get them all done this year, but we're marching very closely to all three, which is just, for me, it's incredibly exciting because, you know, it's been a build up to this for lots of years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great. And um, I, all the rest of it, the background, the kind of the lithium market, the, the, the assured provenance, you know, all of the ESG stuff, that's completely fine. I, you know, I can, I can get my handle around my head around that. Um, yeah. 
thank you very much. I think the the the, the next thing to do is for for me to sit back and watch you work incredibly hard, um, and for you to come back and uh, explain how you've um, smashed it out of the park. Yeah, yeah, and and we'll keep you updated as we go. Obviously, you know, for those watching, can check out our website at ethermetalscorp.com and sign up to our newsletter. Um, and we continually update the market on on things that are happening at E3 and, you know, you can follow the progress. I think it's going to be a great year for us. Yeah, great. And I, I commend you on your on your um, your copy. Your marketing materials are first rate. Uh, oh, I see you. a lot. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Good. Well, um, nice talking to you. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm sure we'll speak again in the future. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show today.